Hey everybody, welcome to the Midnight Cast, the official podcast of the Midnight Romero Society. I am Midnight Dave, and today, as ever, I am joined by... Katron. Like... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know uh, what yeah. order we're going in. What's our turn order? I don't remember. Uh, we'll start with Jenny, Jenny, Katron, and Jet Mike. Wait, I thought K- K- Kai was going first. I'm going first to talk about our stuff. Oh, but Should Dave's the host. <laughs> Dave's hosting. Yeah, we're going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So <laughs> when we introduce, it'll be Dave, Jenny, me, Mike. Okay. And then Dave, you can pass me the ball whenever you want me to start. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Midnight Cast, the official podcast of the Midnight Romero Society. I am Midnight Dave, and I am joined as ever by Jenny from the Grave, Katron, and Jet Mike. And today, we are talking about something that I have a very hard time summarizing. So, Katron, I'm going to hand it off to you. What are we talking about this this month? This is something that has been a passion project of mine. Uh, and I've, I don't think I've ever said it the same way twice. So, I'm going to go with this today. Movies with songs that contain the name of the movie in the song. So I'm sure you're familiar with this. Uh, it's, it's a common practice in some films during certain time periods where there would be a song that is written specifically for the movie uh, that is often at the beginning or sometimes at the end or sometimes just thrown on the soundtrack somewhere that uh, kind of summarizes the whole movie or is just a fun song that's got the name of the movie. And it's one of those things that always gave me a big pop is like you, when it's sort of like when a band has a song that's got the band's name in it it's like yeah i like to hear it this is songs that have the name of the movie in it i do have some rules for this um the first rule is it does have to be made for the movie so it can't be like the movie was named after a song like stand by me or season of the witch those were there's a song first, and then they kind of just tagged it onto the movie. Uh, it's got to appear in the film at some point or on the soundtrack, uh, at least the official soundtrack somehow. Uh, and it's got to say the title, as much of the title as possible. So it can't be like Goonies are good enough. That song never actually says the word Goonies, uh, so it can't count. Uh, that, that's it. That's that's. That's what we're going with today. If you if you don't follow at home, you'll you'll get the grasp of it once we start talking about the movies it entails. So, Katron, once again, your topic, your passion project, you go first. All right. Um, so I'm gonna go with a big one. I know there's gonna be a bunch that we'll probably think of later, or someone listening will go, "Oh my gosh, why didn't you include this one?" So. We'll include stuff that we love. We might hit some of those. If you want us to hit another one that we missed, hey, we can do it again. There's so many of these that uh, there's, it would be great to do this one again. But I'm going to go with a big one right off the bat. I'm going to go with uh, Ghostbusters. Something strange in your neighborhood. Who you going to call?
So this this is probably the biggest, the big daddy, the king, if you will. Um, it's the song is titled Ghostbusters as well. Uh, the movie came out in 1984, and it was I don't know if the movie if the song came first or not. I think it did like come out before the movie actually did. Uh, and the song is called Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. So if you are not familiar with the movie Ghostbusters. I'll give you a brief synopsis. Uh, it's about paranormal scientists who hunt some mother effing ghosts. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much it. So this song, uh, it was big. This is a big deal. And it still is. You've probably heard it sometime in your life without never having even seen a Ghostbusters film. Uh, and it's, it was the winner of the best pop instrumental performance of the 1985 grammys so it didn't win for just the regular song but the instrumental version did win a grammy so this is that's why i call this one the big daddy this is the one that like it's even got a grammy most of these songs end up being sort of silly novelty things that kind of get pushed to the side but this one is actually like extremely popular number one billboard uh, hot 100 chart topper uh, in august of 1984 uh, and just a big, big deal. So this song is extremely fun. Uh, it is catchy as all heck. And it, the legend has it that this song was made with only a few days for Ray Parker Jr. to come, to come up with. So he had to come up with the lyrics, the, the song itself, without having seen the film. Uh, and he was sort of at his wit's end. So he's watching television and sees a commercial for some like cheap local thing that has you know like come on down and here's our jingle and he was like this is it this is what i need uh, so that's why the ghostbusters song has this whole who you gonna call thing going to it because it was uh, made after such commercials uh, so let me go through some lyrics for you here who are you going to call? Everybody probably knows that phrase. Like if you've, not, if you've not even heard the song, you've probably heard who are you going to call. And that is part of that big hook in this whole song. Uh, my favorite line that I have written down here, if, you, if you've had a dose of a freaky ghost, baby, you better call the Ghostbusters. And another favorite line of mine is, let me tell you something, busting makes me feel good, which is out of context <laughs> perfect where does the song show up in the film i think it just comes in at the end it i think it does show up as a jingle in the movie too uh, it's got an excellent music video if you've never seen it it is really fun ray parker jr is a ghost in an apartment that is all like blackened out with just like neon lights around the furniture and things it's amazing it's very 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 80s uh, there's a bunch of movie clips interspersed with a lot of cameos of people who aren't in the film. Uh, Chevy Chase, John Candy, Danny DeVito, and several others just, just pop up for fun. Uh, and the Ghostbusters cast as well shows up dancing in the middle of New York City with like several onlookers watching them and following them. And that dance actually gets used in the beginning of the Ghostbusters cartoon um so when you see the film you see them do that little like shuffle i mean the music video when you see that 
that's actually taken from the music video. Uh, and it's, it's just a great, fun song. Uh, they actually use it again. Run DMC did a remix of it for Ghostbusters 2, which needs to be said because it's also a wonderful song and movie. Uh, but this, there's actually a little bit of controversy to this one because we can't have the Big Daddy without having somebody getting in trouble here. So Huey Lewis in the News has a song called I Want a New Drug. And it's apparently like the exact same baseline <laughs> to the Ghostbusters song. So they were sued and they was that a lot of court. They did not win, paid some money to Huey Lewis in the News. And I thought to myself, what? I know that song. I know I Want a New Drug. And I know Ghostbusters. They don't sound the same. When I listen to a mashup. It's the exact same song. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's my first pick. I had to go with kicking the door down with, with some Ghostbusters. Right on. Piggybacking off of Ghostbusters, there is a guy named Christian Han, and he does these amazing breakdowns of songs, and he has done the Ghostbusters song, and it is a fantastic tale. Like, he really goes into the history of its creation and then breaks it down by track. So, like, the vocal track, you know, the uh, the harmonies, the chorus, you know, the bass line, synthesizers, the whole nine yards, and it is phenomenal. Uh, you can probably fi- find it online somewhere, but, but just also look up Christian Hand because he does these amazing breakdowns he did tubular bells for uh the exorcist which you know only like five seconds was used but good stuff i love i love that jingle i sing it all the time out of context because bustin makes me feel good uh. <laughs> <laughs> it sure sure does bustin 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 uh was it the neil sisiega remix uh, oh so yes fantastic worth it to put on at any party anytime absolutely Oh yeah, it's it's definitely a staple in any like Halloween music playlist. Like it's it still gets so much legwork, and uh, it's so good. It's just a great song. Test of friendship to listen to that song to see you know who's like, what's wrong with you versus <laughs> yeah, and they just you know start partying with you and singing along. So that's that's a that's a t- test of true friendship, I think. If they're dancing by your side, they're friends for life. <laughs> Thank you, Kaya. Jet Mike, what have you got for us? All right. Uh, I am also coming out swinging because, you know, I figured to get the, the big guy out of the way first that other people may have on their list. Who knows? Um, so I am going with the one and only Prince and Purple Rain. Yes, Ooh, yeah. the greatest soundtrack album of all time, Purple Rain, and the greatest (laughs) musical of all time, Purple Rain. The song was written by Prince. Shocking, I know, (laughs) because he wrote all of his music. Um, Stars, Prince and the Revolution, of course. Um, Apollonia, Morris Mm -hmm. Day and the Time. Um, It's from 1984. All of my picks, spoiler, are from the 80s because that was the best decade for this category, I feel. I think mine might be too, Mike. Yes. It, <laughs> it, was, just, it was just what they did in the 80s. The 80s were a fun decade, you know? So, so were the soundtracks. 
Spoiler, I have no films from the 80s. So this is going to be interesting. Oh. Nice. All right, nice. All right. all right. Me neither. Whoa. Weird. All right. This is right. going to be an exciting episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's see. Let's talk about the, the film a little bit first. Um, so Prince plays the kid. That is the only name given for him in this. He's not Prince. He's kind of a, a little mashup of, of fiction and reality. Um, semi-autobiographical story of his family and rising up in the Minneapolis music scene. Um, it's, the movie's got plenty of performances. Uh, it is a true musical. Um, it's from The Revolution, obviously, um, as well as The Time, Apollonia 6, and the much forgotten Des Dickerson. He, like, he used to be Prince's guitar player until Purple Rain, and then he went solo, but he's still in this movie with a great song also. Um, the movie is, the movie is pretty dark. I mean, I saw, well, I was eight, seven years old when I saw Purple Rain and it's not for a seven year old. (laughs) I, I I love, I've, man, I love Prince since MTV started showing the move, the videos from 1999. So when this came out, it was a natural, but yeah, so it's a, it's definitely a gritty film, but they have fabulous wardrobes. So don't worry. The kid goes between good and bad. He's surrounded by all kinds of influences from both sides, from his parents. They're in an abusive relationship to his bandmates, the club owner, rival bands. It's just a, a big storm of emotions through this movie. And, you know, he certainly isn't the hero through the whole movie either. He has his times where you hate him. So it's, a, it's you know, a lot of, you, you think of musicals and a lot of people think of the classic musicals that are very very cheery and happy this is not that kind of movie it is sexy though well it certainly is oh yeah oh man that love scene and i was seven wow (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah so this really opened the floodgates for me as being a prince fan it went from seeing just seeing his videos going i need everything that prince does and buy me that outfit you'll never have everything prince does no, that is that is true, but I'm trying. The vault will never be open. <laughs> uh, it was my first ever, the first ever cassette I ever owned was this soundtrack. Mm, that is really that's important. Amazing. Yes, yes, absolutely, it was. That's and I was, impressive. Was, we yeah. should do it. We should do an episode on that. What cassette was your first? <laughs> it would, yeah. That, Dude, my, my, my first cassette story is not cool at all. It was some <laughs> weird bar band my parents picked up their Aww. CD in the 80s. And then they just gave it to me because I like the cover art. And then that's it. Not not cool at all. <laughs> my first CD was the Batman Forever soundtrack. Ooh, nice. Oh, nice. Kids by a Rose. I'm right there with you. That's a good one. Yeah, I do remember my first cassette, but it was like a kid's cassette where my mom bought me one of those cassettes that um, you can order and it has your kid's name. So it's like, wake up, Jennifer. What do you do? Let's there was like a song about banging pots and pans, like and pissing off your parents. And that was my favorite song on there. But yeah, it's like, da da da. Insert name, Jennifer. (laughs) That was my first cassette. But uh, sorry, Mike. No, that's all right. We're off track here. (laughs) No, I'm glad that me saying that could spawn that. So the the last bit of personal detail on this, um, I thought for a brief moment that my prince privileges would be taken away because I I was in my bedroom. This is before I saw the movie because I couldn't see it in the theater. You know, taking a seven-year-old to that movie is 
beyond what my parents would do, but letting me watch it at home, fine. But anyway, so before I got to see it, it was coming out and they did a news report about it. So I ran out of my bedroom and my dad was watching the news and I wanted to see the report. And then the report was all about his lyrics and how it wasn't good for kids. And he says the word masturbating in the soundtrack album. Yeah, darling. Nick. And mm. Darling. Nick. Yes. So <laughs> I had to kind of just slink back to my room and act like I wasn't excited about this. So my dad wouldn't take away privileges, but he didn't care. He paid no attention to that at all. So ah, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, so Purple Rain, it's a classic. You're a smart kid. Just act like you don't even like it. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, you know, you got to do anything to to protect what you love, mm. and that was Prince. True. That's such a great song. Like, it's a great soundtrack. It's one of the best albums ever. The best soundtracks That's ever. Good. Like you said, it's um, solid. It's not like maybe Dove's Cry is the one that gets radio play a lot, but Purple Rain is the one that kind of sums up the whole movie and every emotion there. Yes, yeah. it's, it's very important. That's where like. Mm. you know in the in the film that's where despite how good and bad a lot of bad people are you love everybody at the end because purple rain is on mm. and the even the song is dark but people are like yes purple rain, purple <laughs> it's, rain. it's like the the last song you hear at the bar yeah everybody's drunk walking out <laughs> oh it's purple rain too. Prince is like screaming and crying those lyrics. Like it's very, it's very so emotional. emotional. That's why people love it. Hell yeah, Mike. And I knew you were gonna choose that. That's why I didn't choose okay. that. Thank you. I it you know, that it, it's it was a must. I couldn't not pick it. Mm -hmm. And my favorite Prince song of all time is on this soundtrack is Computer Blue. Ooh, that's a deep cut. Oh, I love that one too. I love it. That's a little known one. Not a lot of people recognize. And Prince used music that his father wrote in these songs. And I think Computer Blue was one of them and maybe Purple Rain as well. I think it might have been both of those that he incorporated that music. Yeah, Computer Blue parts were, yeah, were done on the piano and he turned them into guitar parts. <laughs> so good. Well, I, I didn't realize that. And that part is also in the film. So that is one of the true autobiographical parts. But have you seen Under the Cherry Moon? Oh, yeah. I have it. I haven't watched it yet. It's awful, I know. None of his other films match Purple Rain. Under the Cherry Moon's not bad. It's just kind of like, all right, what's happening? <laughs> it's, very, it's very like fly on the wall. <laughs> and hey, and he has a new album next month. He has another album next month? Oh, yeah. The, the vaults keep, they keep putting out albums. They want yeah, to do at least one a year. Mm -hmm. So this this one's an unreleased album for the Welcome to America tour that he did, and it's called Welcome to America. He did the tour; he just didn't put the album out. Uh, <laughs> Total Prince move. But I definitely want to hear it. Yeah, definitely. they could release an album a year for the rest of all of our lives, and it still wouldn't be like a third of the vault. Mm. It's yeah, they they said they could do one a year for a hundred years and not release ever. Wow, what a wizard! And his discography is going to be Zappa's soon. It's yeah. Be like, <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Mike. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Jenny from the grave. What have you got for us? Oh, hi. Uh, I'm continuing in 
kind of, I mean, Purple Rain's mainstream, but not as mainstream as Ghostbusters and not <laughs> as mainstream as my pick, Mortal Kombat. Whoa. I know, it gets stuck in your head. So it's 1995 film, American fantasy martial arts action movie, loose adaptation of the video game series. Uh, I think it was, uh, I read that it was based on uh, MK1 and MK2, the video game series. Um, Loosely is a big keyword Mm -hmm. here. Um, The plot follows Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, and Sonya Blade, uh, among others, all guided by Raiden on their journey to conquer evil sorcerer Shang Tsung and his forces to save Earth. Um, via a tournament of the same name, Mortal Kombat, fought between Earth and the Outworld, which is this kind of like fantasy, I wouldn't really call it hell. It's like, it's just like another world, uh, another dimension Mm. uh, full of evil insanity, full of spandex wearing (laughs) uh, (laughs) characters. Um, So yes, uh, it's great film, uh, cult classic. Everybody's seen it. Everybody knows its name. Um, at least most people have played the video game series. This series is still going strong. What are we on now? 11, I think. Oh, yeah, 11. Which is great. Do not get it for the Switch, though, because the graphics will look like absolute poop and it will freeze. It's just not built for anything other than your Xbox and PlayStation consoles. Mm-hmm. So don't get it for the switch high recommendation we bought it and then it's fun but it's just like you can tell it's shouldn't be on the switch so they tried but failed so the song um is actually called techno syndrome Hmm. uh, slash mortal Kombat. so yeah um it's a side project of the immortals which at the time were a band consisting of belgian electronic uh, musicians Maurice Praga Khan Engler Englin, sorry if my pronunciation is terrible, and Olivier Adams, I believe, or it's Oliver Adams. I'm not sure how they pronounce it over in Belgium. But fun fact, which I had no idea, which now makes the most sense to me in the entire universe. Um, Praga Khan, uh, one of the first member I was talking about. Uh, later went on to form the or lead the controversial tech industrial band Lords of Acid, oh. which Whoa. you guys know <laughs> yeah. Lords of Acid. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> My mouth fell open. I was like, "What?" <laughs> I think I saw them once at Club Hell or something like that in Providence, Rhode Island. But I definitely listened to them a lot in my little goth industrial twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm dating myself now, but um, kind of wild, kind of crazy. So it was a side project for them. I think I read that the single came out before the movie, like the movie was delayed for some reason. Um, But yeah, there's there's a ton of remixes by everybody under the planet, but the original is just solid gold. I will read it here for you like an epic poem yes test your might mortal combat fight mortal combat excellent kano lucane raiden johnny cage scorpion sub-zero sonya
Mortal Kombat. Fight. And then it just repeats that and repeats that and repeats that like a thousand times over with the most beautiful electronic uh, majesty. Poetry snaps. Um, Poetry snaps for that. Yeah. (laughs) I believe all the vocalizations in that movie are taken from the game itself too i think it's i think so just yeah. like ripped, if you were walking by the you know the game in an arcade or something i almost expected that song to just blare out of it while it was going through the roster and telling me to test my might exactly and then the guy from lords of acid just took that and made a beater out of it that would always get stuck in your brain for the till the end of time so, yeah, it's good stuff. It's my most known uh, film that I have, so I thought I'd, I'd start strong. I definitely saw an elementary school talent show. I didn't take part in, but watched it for my school. And there was a kid that did a karate demonstration to that song. And oh. I'm pretty sure it was when the song came out. It was still, like, super fresh. And that kid yep. got the audience going. Just having O-M-G. I think oh, yeah. I remember him doing some good kicks, but really uh, he could have been awful and the song would have just sold it for the crowd. So, Yeah, yeah. The song always will sell it for the crowd, no matter what. I might use it in some of my performances as well, now that I think about it. That would be amazing. <laughs> I would love that. I also have another funny story about this. Uh, so I worked in Newbury Comics with a bunch of awesome people and nerd boys and one of them made or two of them maybe i think it was a group effort i'm not naming any names they made a christmas present for everyone at the store which was a remix of mortal Kombat that they made themselves i'll have to dig that up um it was wonderful i think they might have been saying random words or the names of the other like employees i can't remember that's awesome. Oh, I, I, I got to <laughs> yeah. search for that. Yeah, it was it was super funny. <laughs> the saga continues. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's definitely ingrained into the brains of people of a certain age when the song hit. Yep. It was a big deal. And this was pretty early into the video game movie scene too, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the first one of the first big ones at least. Like they had other, you know, there was like Street Fighter, um Double Dragon, all that super stuff Super Mario Mortal Brothers Kombat. is probably out. Before that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mortal Kombat was oh, a little later, but none of them had this song backing it up. Mm-hmm. Lords of Acid, God. If I had known when I was that little, like, your future in the uh, industrial goth scene will be led by your love of Mortal Kombat. Seeds are planted. No, it makes sense. But, uh, yeah, David. Mortal Kombat? Directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, famously known for making Event Horizon. Uh, Did um, all, dare I say, all of the Resident Evils, or at least most of them. Wow, that makes sense. Some more video game movies. Very good. Yeah. And Soldier, starring Kurt Russell. Oh, and another video game movie, uh, Alien vs. Predator from 2004. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've never laughed more hard in a movie theater than at the end of Alien vs. Predator. When the, the human lady and the, the Predator look at each other and they decide to team up and run and they just start running and it's like this slow motion cheese fest. I just started cackling <laughs> and people in the theater looked at me like I was a whack job. I was like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> 
I had a similar experience during the first Conjuring. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen it. Spoiler: There's a there's a scene where a little girl is. Well, first the mom hears a sound. It's this knocking sound, and so the the camera slowly pans around the corner and through her doorway, and you see the little girl banging her head against a, a closet. <laughs> And I don't know if that was supposed to be suspenseful or what, but I laughed out so loud, <laughs> the whole theater heard me. And then I think it took the piss out of the whole movie for the rest of them, because then we were just <laughs> laughing for the rest of it. Well, thank you, Jenny. I guess it's my turn now. And I also went big. I did a grand slam, guys. I did Space Jam. <laughs> chance i did a dance space jam all right all right uh directed <laughs> another one it just gets stuck mm-hmm. in your brain you can't get it out directed by this guy named joe Pyta, um who only had two other credits that i could find he directed this weird movie called let it ride from 1989 and then he directed a commercial so he directed Let It Ride in 1989, and then his next movie was in 1996. I don't know where he was between those two, but you know, <laughs> but he definitely knocked it out of the park for his second movie, starring, we all know, Michael Jordan as himself, Bugs Bunny as himself, Daffy Duck playing himself as well, Larry Bird, Bill Murray, Charles Barkley, Tweety Bird, all themselves. It's a fun romp. And also, Swack Hammer, voiced by Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. Hey, two movies with Danny mm-hmm. DeVito today. Now, for those of you who don't know, mm-hmm. to refresh your memory, Danny DeVito's character, Swack Hammer, is this evil alien theme park owner, and he needs a new attraction for Moron Mountain, where all the aliens uh, live. And his gang, the Nerd Lux, head to Earth to kidnap Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes, so they could be the new attraction for said Moron Mountain. But Bugs, being the uh, wise guy that he is, challenges them to a game of uh, basketball to determine whether or not they spend the rest of their existence at Moron Mountain. The aliens agree, and Bugs is in a panic because he's like, I don't know how to play basketball. None of us do. So who does he go to? Why? The multiple MVP championship winning sneaker brand owning michael jordan ladies and gentlemen five stars on letterbox that's my review thank you very much (laughs) no not really but um an iconic titular song space jam by the quad city djs they knocked it out of the park you know as catchy dare i say as ghostbusters in mortal kombat not as immortal as purple rain but hey you know we all sing it (laughs) also a big shout out to the use of i believe i can fly in the opening credits by r kelly putting that in a kid's movie it's cringeworthy (laughs) on retrospect but hey why not let me tell you something i saw this Boston makes you feel good good. ian makes me feel good (laughs) no (laughs) 
guy. Reel it back. So Reel I saw this at a midnight screening. It wasn't the first time I saw this, but I um I was well into my 20s when the Coolidge Corner Theater, beloved theater up here in Massachusetts, were, I don't know where the audience is listening from, but in case you're not someone we know immediately, Coolidge Corner Theater, great theater in Brookline, Mass., uh, does midnight movies. They played uh, Space Jam for a midnight movie, and the house is on fire. It's just like NBA Jam. Friggin' when I Believe I Can Fly kicked on, everyone was clapping. They were singing along. <laughs> the lighters were out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, the energy was great. Um, I can't say much about the movie because, you know, it's just you can't really comment on perfection. But <laughs> I can't. <laughs> It's just a fun romp. You know, I didn't know people hated this movie until I was, you know, in college. And then they're like, that movie sucks. And I'm like, what? What do you mean people hate this movie? I owned the Michael Jordan action figure that was made for this movie. I owned a Toon Squad shirt. I was all about (laughs) this movie for years. I didn't know people would giving it to to one star ratings on Letterboxd, you know that? Well, they were probably not the target audience. Like this movie was definitely pointed towards kids and the Looney Tunes were huge in the 90s. And I think that phenomenon must have started with this movie, if not only exacerbated itself. Yeah, I think it was a, they were trying to reawaken or revitalize the Looney Tunes. Tiny Toons was a thing, the Tasmanian cartoon, like they were all over being reinvented. Yeah. I remember watching a news, see, I'm watching the news too, watch a news segment that was like, Looney, Looney Tunes are hot now, <laughs> showing kids buying t-shirts and stuff. So uh, if you saw it later in life or didn't see it when it was hot, you might have some rage that it exists, but it was very important for its time for the people who saw it. And that was me. <laughs> so, yeah. And Michael Jordan too. He was also huge. I didn't watch basketball. Plenty of kids that didn't even know sports knew who he was. He was just that in the public like lexicon. He was mm-hmm. just there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's weird that he did this movie because he, at least when he started in his career, because I watched basketball in the 90s, which is a huge surprise to everyone because I don't usually watch sports. But who are you? Who am I? Uh <laughs> I just unzip like a Looney Tune. It's like, it's me, Slackhammer. <laughs> so I, uh, he was, he had this weird thing about his likeness being used in things. So he wasn't in the original NBA Jam, which is another iconic 90s video game. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you were to choose the Chicago Bulls, it would be Scottie Pippen. And I forget the guy that they ended up just giving it Michael Jordan stats. But I guess he, you know, felt fine after a while being in the spotlight because now he owns a sneaker uh, company and hey is now in a movie for kids so hey how about that i love everything about this movie it's just so <laughs> dumb and silly the fact that they actually spit shine a broken down gymnasium in tune land and then he tricks them by filling up a water bottle and you know giving them the stuff to be badass when it was all in their head to begin with Um, And then the fact that Bill Murray comes out of nowhere to help save the day. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's a sequel coming. I don't think it's going to to match the magic, but I'm optimistic. I'll watch it. But the Space Jam 1996, it's going to be great. It's coming on 4K too. 
And, uh, you know, I haven't watched it since, since I saw it in Coolidge all those years ago. And then before that, it was probably on VHS. So, I, you know, I'm just primed to rediscover this again. And hopefully <laughs> it, gets its, uh, it finds its new audience. So Space Jam 1996. That, that's my outpouring of love and my grand slam for this amazing episode of the Midnight Cast. I almost forgot what we were called for a second. Anyway, <laughs> Katron, what's your second pick? My second pick, um, I regard in my heart to be a really big one, but I forget that not everybody has the same uh, association as I with movies, the same experience. Uh, but this movie was big to me. When I did see it, this is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yes. So this movie, uh, so good, from 1988. Uh, this movie is amazing. If if you've never seen it, please do yourself a favor. I think this is a movie that I take advantage of that it exists. I've certainly seen it many times throughout my life, and it is so special and important of a film. Uh, and especially for people that don't like clowns, people who just hear the name of this movie like, oh, I can't, I can't. There's people, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who have a fear of clowns just from hearing the name of this film. I don't think there are people who have seen it and they're like, no, I hate this movie. So the fear of clowns is a thing, I guess, that people Yeah, have. it is. I can attest. Oh, see, Miss Jenny. Have you seen this film? <laughs> yes, I'm way too young. I think that attributes to it, actually. That might be um, a part of it. This movie is written, directed, produced, and special effects done by the Chiodo Brothers. Am I saying that right? Chiodo Brothers? I think so. Uh, they're a group of three brothers who worked on this film. Uh, and if Killer Clowns from Outer Space doesn't spell out for you what this film is about, it's about some clowns from space who have every clown joke in the book used in this film. If you can think of it, it is used in this movie and probably to kill people. They are killing people with popcorn, cotton candy, hitting people with cream pies, uh, as well as also murdering everybody. My favorite part is the uh, the ice cream, where they throw pies at the guy, and then they just randomly put a cherry on top. It's it's such a good stick. <laughs> the, the timing's so yes. good. They, they really did their clown research uh, and put some loving clown-ness into it. Uh, I think that... This movie is super fun and super important. And for people that don't like clowns and don't like clown movies, they I think you can kind of watch it because it's silly. Like it's not like they're not like super horrific. They're just grotesque looking, but it's really funny. It's only rated PG-13 too, which surprised me when I realized that. But at the most, they're just comically murdering people. And it's really a cartoon, but real life. It's very influenced by uh, the movies of the 50s and 60s that were kind of silly, I was a teenage werewolf kind of thing. This was definitely during the whole 80s, remembering the 50s revival. Uh, so that's a great twist to this movie too. The beginning of it is actually very, very similar to uh, the original Blob, 1958 Blob movie. 
which is another movie that has uh, a song with the name of the movie and the song. It's got a nice uh, silly little ditty for it that I didn't choose, but I just want to let you know it does exist. The song for this movie is by the band The Dickies, which are an American punk band. They actually started in 1977, and in 1988, they were still going. They were still popular, and uh, all the punks were still jamming out to The Dickies. This song, if you've ever heard it, will get stuck in your head as well. It's got that little, like, carnival calliope do-do-do-do-do-do-do in the beginning. It just pulls you right in, and then it becomes this silly punk song. It's produced a bit more than your average punk song, I think, uh, but it's still got that punk flavor to it. The singer's voice is very, like, nasally and fun. But the lyrics are all very carnival-esque and great. Uh, I love the line, P.T. Barnum said it so long ago. There's one born every minute, don't you know? And what is that? What what's there's one of what born every minute? Jet Mike, I know you know this. A sucker. A sucker. Mm-hmm. sucker born every minute. Uh, supposedly P.T. Barnum said that. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's always been attributed to him. Mm. And that they did some like circus research to sit down to write the killer clowns from Outer Space song or it had that circus knowledge. Makes me really happy. There's there's a degree of trying to imagine this punk band sitting down and writing the killer clowns from outer space song and including some of these things that just hits me in the in the heart my cold black heart grows a little bit warmer grows two sizes that day it sure does (laughs) it's just i think the song comes at the very beginning of the movie and then definitely right at the end as the credits are rolling Uh, the fact that the dickies were involved did give the movie an extra like cult boost from the punk kids at the time and rockabilly i'd say yeah very rockabilly yes definitely so picturing those 80s movie theaters filled with these kids with their little leather jackets and mohawks and piercings and whatnot so good it was on one of dj toady's playlists when we did hollow boogie last year when emeressa did their their uh, halloween kind of festivities uh there's a virtual dance party during covid and that was one of the songs on there and it was great it's great to hear that again i do think it belongs on every halloween soundtrack as well uh it's it's just so spooky and silly and you can dance to it it's great. There's actually a five-song EP that this was released on, including the song. Mm. And they're all, like, circusy and about clowns and stuff. And I haven't researched all of them, but I listened to a couple, and they sound great. I have to go back a little bit further to deeper my Killer Clowns from Outer Space knowledge. <laughs> yeah, Clown Fair is weird. It's it's not like I'm like, oh, my God, it's a clown. Ugh. You know, it, like seeing a clown in a movie is fine. It gives me a little creepy feeling. And usually I have to watch something else after before I go to bed or it'll be bad news. But if I see a sure, clown, sure. say I'm at like spooky world, not spooky world, that doesn't even exist anymore. Oh my God. If like, if I'm somewhere at like in a haunted house or something and a clown is anywhere near me, they will be punched <laughs> in the face. So I should put a disclaimer, uh, like pinned to me, like no clowns mm-hmm. need apply. Thank you. And it's not like they haven't, always been creepy they're there to make you laugh but there's just something mm-hmm. disturbing about a painted on smile so, <laughs> and the, so the clothes disturbing. and 
sad clown paintings on velvet. Yeah. But this movie, I think, balances it out with fun, I would hope. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they are, like, killing people and using them as puppets and splattering blood all over the walls, but in, like, a fun way. You know? <laughs> um, I, there's a great music video for the song that I recently discovered. I didn't know until uh, maybe a few years ago. I looked it up. And it's great. It's v the singer is dressed as a ringmaster uh, and the rest of the band are backing him up. They're in jail for some reason. I don't think we find out why, but they're all jamming in a jail cell. They have the costumed clowns from the movie also appearing as they're all hanging out. It's worth a watch if you can find it on YouTube. I'm checking that out. That's cool. I didn't know there's a video. Oh, it's so good. There's some film clips too, uh, as per usual. Um, before I move on, I do want to share one more favorite line from this song. Uh, if you've ever wondered why the population's going down, blame it on the plunder from the likes of the killer clowns from outer space. There is a pause in the song, and then they just have to remind you from outer space. Uh, so yeah, you've got sci-fi horror, which of course is popular in the news because we just talked about Hellraiser Bloodline. This is technically sci-fi horror because they are aliens and they are out killing people. Uh, so that's my second pick. It's a great song and a fun film as well. Absolutely. And uh, just researching, I found out that the Sci-Fi Channel, uh, I think it was 2018 that they were talking about purchasing the rights to Kill Clowns from Outer Space in order to make a sequel to it. Yes. So I don't know the status on that business transaction, but, you know, I'd, I'd be game for a sequel. I can yeah. totally, so, so totally see that, especially after its popularity. Like, they're begging, like, the public is begging for it. Yeah, I think they were making some traction on it, and I think even the Chiodo brothers were involved or were willing to be involved. But I think COVID maybe interrupted some of that, if that was going to be a thing. Thanks, COVID. I do have another fun fact about Killer Clowns. Uh, the Some of the masks or the mask molds were reused for the Ernest Scared Stupid movie. Oh, yes! I totally so forgot about that! If you've <gasps> noticed, some of the trolls in that movie kind of look like the clowns, oh, that's why. That is one of my favorite movies of all time, Ernest Scared Stupid. It's a wonderful film. And I'm amazed at that. That's so cool. Such a cool little tidbit. Thank you, Kai. Yeah. No problem. In, in our continuing series of Dave's Late to the Boat, um, I saw Ernest Scared Stupid for the first time. Was it last year? Last year we watched half of it. You fell asleep. No, it, wasn't. it <laughs> could have been last year. Yeah. Uh, that was the year before when we first got HBO Max. And uh, we watched it really late at night after a long shift I had. And I just kind of passed out. And I was glued to the screen like a, like a seven-year-old. Like, hi, oh, I, love, I love this movie. And then I look back, he's snoozing. I'm like, it's not that bad. Uh, but oh, then... It wasn't bad at all. No. Uh, when I finally watched it, when I could uh, stay awake, <laughs> it was fantastic. You can definitely see, um, I guess, spoiler, but at the end, when you see all of the troll children, they definitely look like the killer clowns. Like, there's so many similarities. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. A little paint job change, but that's probably about it. And probably height change. I don't think they're as tall as some of the clowns were. They're tiny little trolls <laughs> with boogies. Definitely a lot more hairier, too. <laughs> that is my, one of 
my all-time favorite endings of a movie of all time. And I'm not going to give anything away, but just go and watch it because it's wonderful. It's so hokey and so beautiful. Absolutely. And one last tidbit about Killer Clowns is, um, I don't know how, actually, I don't know how true this is, so never mind. But I was going to say, I, th- I think they the Dickies re-recorded the theme song for the Arrow Blu-ray that just came out. I don't know what was up with the elements for the original song, but the Dickies were like, yeah, we'll, we'll just re-record it for you and you can use it again. And <laughs> there you go. Sounds awesome. Yeah. I can't, I can't find a source on that or where I found it originally, but whatever we'll print the i think i did see uh on a dvd or blu-ray that i have the an interview with the chiodo brothers who they did all the practical effects in this movie and they're amazing they're so great uh and they said you know well people like to complain with cg it looks more quote-unquote real but they're like well everything looks a little fake and a little real it's just depending on what you want so they were even like probably willing to go a little bit CG maybe in Killer Clowns 2 or whatever it might be, the re- reboot of Clowns. Uh, but it's just kind of a nice note to think of that you can go very far with practical or CG, just depending on what you're going for. I did. I was at a Harhan convention, I don't know, a bunch of years ago, maybe like 2012. And they had a bunch of screen use props and costumes and whatnot. And they had some clown ones. And yeah, they they look fabulous even after all these years. So I mean, you know, they're, I'm a practical fan. Yeah. Thank you, Kaya. Jet Mike, what's your second pick? All right. We're going back to the 80s. Uh, just barely. This is from 1980, right on the dot. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Uh, so I went with movie called movie that we saw in a movie night a couple of, probably a couple of years ago now uh, called Midnight Madness. movie that a lot of people think is called The Great All-Nighter, and I also did for many years when I was younger, but it is called Midnight Madness. So it is a, it is a comedy. It was uh, the song Midnight Madness, which pops up right at the, it's, it's the opening credits, the song plays over them, which is a very handy device to get you going in the movie. Uh, let me see. So the main lyrics of the song when midnight madness starts to get to you, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what you do, you gotta play. And that's basically what it is. This is this is a, a scavenger hunt. Uh, uh, stars David Naughton from American Werewolf in London. Uh, Michael J. Fox in his first film role, very, very young baby face, Michael J. Fox. Oh yes, that, he was so adorable in that. He was such a baby. Oh yes. Um, Stephen First, who's who's one of those oh I've seen him in everything kind of kind of characters. He was in Animal House and some other things. Um, Eddie Deason, same thing. He's he's a he played the quote unquote nerd in pretty much every '80s movie ever made. Um, and the first credited film role for Mr. Paul Rubens, oh, aka that's Peter right. Yeah. Wow. Man, I 
totally forgot about this movie when we watched it. <laughs> There's it's such a powerhouse of stars. Yeah, it is great. My favorite Pee Wee Herman part is he was he was the arcade worker, and if you needed quarters, you would give him the money, and he had a gun, and he would shoot the quarters into your hand, and he did that to somebody, and then then he went scared. You did not in his Pee Wee kind of voice, and it was great. But anyway, let's talk about some plot going on. So you've got several college teams and they're separated as the 80s did into stereotypes. So you have the jock team, the nerd team, etc. Um, and they were competing in the great all nighter. And it was a scavenger hunt around Los Angeles. And it was all it was all put together by this this older guy named Leon, and we never really understand what Leon's deal is. Um, but he ran the he ran the show, and there's a subplot about the the landlady of the apartment building wanting to kick him out because of all the noise and stuff that he was doing. But he told all the other tenants about it, and they started having a party in his room. So great. Um, but it is it is one of those '80s wacky comedies. But it's just like it's just a great feel good movie too. Um, I talked to at a show once. I saw. Brian Frischman, who played a character called Barf. <laughs> and he, I love it. he said, he said that this was the reason that Disney created Buena Vista as their, their little sub print, because this is, this was a PG rated film and Disney wanted to be tagged only for G rated movies. And so this was this movie was the reason because there is a lot of innuendo and whatnot, even for a PG film, but PG would have meant a different thing in the eighties because there was no PG 13 yet. Mm. Yes. Um, so yeah. So this film is why Buena Vista was created. So if you see a Buena Vista film, it's actually a Disney movie. It's, it's not gotten a Blu-ray release as of yet. It is, does exist on DVD and you know, you can buy it online or rent it online or what have you. Um, but it's it's an incredibly funny movie, you know, one of those Heart of Gold films. I liked it when we watched this movie, besides it having that song and with the name of the movie and the song right in the beginning that explains to you exactly what the film is going to be about, which I was already like, yes, I'm going to love this movie. It's a movie that everything happens in one night. It's just one big adventure that's almost like in real time. Yep. And I love, I love films that do that. Uh, so I, I, I do remember loving that. And even the, like you said, it's right at the beginning of this movie. And I distinctly remember people in short shorts, wearing roller skates, passing out flyers yep. to get people to join the scavenger hunt and with this music going. And it just like, it's burned into my brain. I can remember the peewee part. I can remember um, little baby Michael J. Fox getting like pushed into a van or something. <laughs> like these little things that I remember distinctly and most especially that beginning because the song was running through it. It's tense too, the whole, the whole climax about who's going to win in the end and, and, you know, whatever. I'm certainly not going to say who wins, but it's great. Like I, you know, I met David Naughton at a show and I didn't want a American Werewolf thing signed. I wanted my Midnight Madness DVD signed. Because that was did he that, comment on it? Uh, he did not really comment on it. He was, if I'm being honest, he was looking at the girl in line behind me that was um, much more attractive than I was. 
So, oh. you know, it wasn't the greatest. <laughs> but, but I met him again years later and he was very nice to me. So, you know, 50 50. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, it's it's a wonderful movie. I it was one of those films that I you know you saw every day because it's HBO and that's what they do back then. Um, so I'd watch it every day, and I mean it came out in eighty. I don't know when HBO picked it up because you know that there was still the early days of cable and whatnot. But when it stopped playing for years and years, I was like, man, what was that movie? And I also thought it was the Great All Nighter because that's what you did. And then finally, I was in the video store with a friend when I was a teenager, um, and there it was. And we were like, whoa, that's that movie. And I got to reconnect with it and find out the real name of it, and then it went from there. So we had a little reunion that night, and it was great. And why is it that people think that's the title? Is that what they call the, the big scavenger hunt? Yeah. That, that's the race. Yeah, that's the big scavenger hunt. Right on. Cool. Thank you, Mike. I'll have to revisit it. Unfortunately, yeah. it's not on Disney Plus. No, not yet. It's you can. I saw you can buy and rent it or rent it on YouTube. So there's at least one platform that has it. Yeah, uh, Amazon, uh, Fango, uh, Apple. So yeah, all the VOD services. It looks like, but come on, Disney, give me some of those those sweet gems. They, they, you know, they, I'm sure they have other Buena Vista titled films on there. I mean, it's less violent than the Marvel movies, just saying. And they're all in there in spades. But. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there might be more sexual innuendo in this one, though. <laughs> I can't comment on the sexual innu- innuendos on uh, Marvel movies. The but, whole uh, movie <laughs> is a sexual innuendo. Yeah, they're wearing tight spandex. <laughs> Guardians 2, they just, it's all spent inside of a weird alien. So, hey, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, Jenny our next uh, our next uh, podcast episode should be movies with spandex as the main Uh, character that'd be like six Um, hours long I know goodness I'm ready I'm so ready for that I was born ready Um, so my next movie is a little left field it is from 2006 Uh, it is a beautiful deep dive I found it uh, when I was working at Newbury Comics and I found it, yeah, I definitely didn't see it in the theater. I was too, I don't know, I wasn't too young. I, I just found it in like the cheapo bin, the cheapo DVD bin. And I was like, whoa, what? On the cover, you see Samuel L. Jackson and Christina Ricci, like sweaty, dirty. There's a chain on Christina Ricci that Samuel L. Jackson is holding. Uh, and it is called Black Snake Mode. Whoa. She done cut it out. Get rid of it. That voice in my head, every time I think it's gone, it comes howling back. Calls me when I'm ailing. Can't find my way home. Lost in the pines. I calls it the black snake moon. Black snake all in my room. Black snake all in my room. 
I don't. I think it was marketed terribly, so I'm not surprised. Uh, it's a 2006. I say 2005. 2006 American black comedy slash drama, um, starring Christina Ricci, Samuel Jackson, also Justin Timberlake, amazingly, plus plus a, a ton of other uh, weird cameos as well. Um, but this movie blew me away for so many reasons. Um, it's really one of a kind. I've never seen anything like it to be honest for a million other reasons but it's one of those movies that fits in the weird niche category which this could also be another episode write this shit down because uh we gotta remember this um movies that either this one of the main stars wrote music for or started a musical career from what like a movie star writing music say you know bruce willis had his own al album or a few albums, uh, Steven Seagal, Tim Curry. And I'm not sure those three, if they wrote them from a movie or if they had musical careers beforehand, it's something to look into. I just remember working at Newbury Comics, thumbing through the their $3 CD bin and, you know, Bruce Willis's album came up. I think it's called like Coming Right Up or something <laughs> cheesetastic. Oh, it's, it's so hammy. It's, the cover is pretty wonderful. If you can like Google that, it's great. Yep, he cover he does some covers, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not here to talk about Bruce Willis though. I'm here to talk about um, Samuel L. Jackson writing four songs for this movie, learning blues guitar for this movie from I think four different blues teachers. Um, I couldn't find their names anywhere. There's not a lot of good research online, or I didn't dig deep enough. But he learned blues guitar for this movie and like that's wonderful uh christina ricci starved herself for this movie so that she would look really emaciated and samuel L. jackson learned blues guitar for this movie like isn't that just like wonderful uh the film focuses on mississippi bluesman jackson who holds a troubled local woman ricci nymphomaniac captive in his house in an attempt to cure her of her nymphomania after finding her severely beaten on the side of the road it's directed by craig brewer whose first movie was hustle and flow i don't know if you guys have seen that i've heard of it but i haven't seen it okay and so that was his first movie uh, his first big movie, and then he made Black Snake Moan, and then he went on to do a Footloose remake, a Katy Perry documentary, and the best two from 2019-2021, Dolomite Is My Name, <laughs> nice, which is the uh, kind of, I don't know if it's like a mockumentary about Rudy Ray Moore, uh, and Coming to America, which I have not seen yet, which I want to see, which is the second Eddie Murphy coming to America film, which I think was direct. They're both direct to Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. But um, Black Snake Moan is so good. Um, the titular title track, um, Black Snake Moan, Samuel Jackson wrote. I could not find if he actually wrote the lyrics or if he just did the music, but he 
uh, I believe based it off of a Blind Lemon Jefferson blues song by the same name. So I'm not sure if the lyrics are taken from that or similar, but it's badass. Mm. He is so like full of pain and hate for his wife who left him and, and aborted their baby. And it's just, he is trying to save this nymphomaniac, troubled white girl. He chains her to his furnace and all hell breaks loose. So, um, yeah. I'll have to see that. Check it out. <laughs> it's a one-of-a-kind film. I don't know how it got made. I don't know how it disappeared, and nobody's ever seen it except for me. But um, that was the best, like, three ninety nine dollars movie of, you know, me, you know, burying, uh, digging through the, the bargain bins. But um, the, the soundtrack's great. I think it has not only Samuel L., Arl Burnside, North Mississippi All-Stars. So it, it's pretty stacked, honestly. They, I do listen to the soundtrack by itself, and it holds up pretty well for some, some amazing Southern blues. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my pick. Yeah, available to watch on Amazon Prime. And Newberry Comics still exists, so maybe go dive through their bargain DVD bin. <laughs> if they have any left, who knows? You might find it. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was a lot of fun when uh, all things considered, when you showed it to me, Jenny, a few years ago now. But I remember it came out the same year as Snakes on a Plane, mm. so 2006. Couldn't be more different. <laughs> Couldn't be more different. But I almost thought it was when it came out. I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those. Yeah, it's not a comedy. It's a black, black. Those grindhouse movies yeah. where it catches you Super with the title. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it, uh, Midnight Dave. Snakes on a Plane is a little bit more of the tongue-in-cheek, but this one's a little bit more, um, I guess you could compare it to, say, like a Jack Hill type of movie. Mm-hmm. Say, like, like a coffee or pit stop, dare I say. You know, a little bit more grimy, mm-hmm. um, but actually has a story to it. Yeah, and the story's it- amazing. The acting's amazing. It's about, like, the retribution of two very unassuming and opposite characters that have to kind of help each other get through it. So it's, it's got a lot of heart for as much grime as it has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, yeah. it's dirty. You know, it's, it's rated R, I believe. So not for the kitties. Yeah. No, just for the 13 year olds. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Jenny. Yeah. So my second pick, it's, 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 a, it's a hit. It's a bit obscure. Speaking of Jack Hill, uh, my pick is Foxy Brown from 1974. Nice. Starring Pam Greer and Sid Haig. Now, I, uh, I prefer coffee. The movie did uh, the year before, 1973, with Pam Greer. But I love the music and Foxy Brown more. Titular song, Foxy Brown, Willie Hutch of Motown fame, freaking kills it on this track. You know, the opening bass line, the drums. It's great. It gets you cheery. It makes you want to yell it out the window, you know, wherever you're going. You know, it just makes you want to ride 
in a topless Cadillac, honestly. A ride topless in a Cadillac? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> or ride a topless Cadillac or both. Why not ride topless in a topless Cadillac? You know, why not? Why not? No, no one. Okay, I'm here for you. <laughs> Uh, so it's it's great. And for those who haven't seen it, I thought the summary on Letterboxd was pretty apropos. So let me just read it verbatim. A voluptuous black woman takes a job as a high-class prostitute in order to get revenge on the mobsters who murdered her boyfriend. That's okay. pretty concise without going too deep into it. It's just great. You see Pam Greer being Pam Greer and all that entails uh, just being a strong kick-ass lady great undercover story you get to see sig haig kind of sort of baby-faced he's got a nice cleaned up goatee in this one and a hell of a fedora a uh, many many great hats we'll just say and uh, this one's great it's got a great use of an airplane in the climactic scene which i won't go too much into but it it's a satisfying ending. It is probably, it's, it's a fun romp. Again, I don't like it as much as coffee, which is just killer. It's Jack Hill definitely had a budget for Foxy and, you know, he is fine tuning all of the themes and elements that he dealt with, with coffee and Foxy Brown. But I feel that it's a lot more raw and has a lot more of that kinetic energy in coffee. Uh, then in Foxy Brown, it's a little bit more like almost too polished at times, but still great, still highly recommended, even though coffee does have a good riff. I guess I'm just recommending the two in tandem, because <laughs> why they're, not? They're a great back-to-back double feature. They really are. I mean, really, anything Jack, Jack Hill is, is the man. He's, you know, top three directors. You know, he, he can do and has done any genre and he's all about you know female empowerment especially in decades when that wasn't a big thing he made it a big thing jack hill is the man right and you know switchblade sisters in particular female gang of strong ladies tearing misogyny a new asshole as i like to put it yeah another great one which actually got a release from arrow this month i think it comes out on tuesday we're recording this on the sunday so that that's going to be pretty widely available soon but for foxy brown if you want to watch foxy brown it's on my favorite streaming service Tubi, free with ads worth looking into you know um and i think it's available to buy on amazon and apple as well and i believe the arrow blu-ray is still available as well and if you're gonna buy the blu-ray pick up coffee because that's pretty sweet yeah that's a great Good song double. as well great song coffee, coffee is the color oh, for skin. i also have a uh, foxy brown lyrics open so i'll just give you a little piece because it's so good read me that poetry no but please don't make foxy mad or you'll find out that the lady is super bad ha ha super bad Hey, 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 Foxy. Hey, Foxy. Miss Foxy Brown. Hey, girl, you're the kind of woman that a man needs around. So good. So catchy. And so apropos of not only Foxy Brown, but Pam Greer. Um, She's great. Also, you know, any Tarantino fans, because you're always around. Was it uh, Jackie Brown? Totally uh, riffing off of, also starring Pam Greer, also starring Sid Haig. And uh, what I consider his best movie. Yeah, that's right. Tarantino's best movie. I agree with you. That's 
we we can fight everybody else together because you're totally right. Amen. Yeah, at me. Write me in the mail. <laughs> Dave at MinerverSociety.org. I think Lady Snowblood was his best movie. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, you mean you mean the two movies that he ripped off Lady Snowblood oh. with? Yeah. We're going to get some uh, yeah. hate mail from this. Look, I love all the Tarantino movies, but I do think Jackie Brown is his best. It's so good. Mm, absolutely. And also, uh, how about getting back to, to Foxy? How, as a big MASH fan, it was great to see these, the good guy psychiatrists from MASH ah. be, being the, the scummy drug lord. Oh, yeah. My, oh <laughs> the my drug lord God. pimp in this one. I didn't know you were a MASH fan. Oh man, that's my that's my favorite. That makes sitcom. me so happy because that was my mom's favorite, and she we would yeah. watch it together. That's great. Yeah, I love it. That's a deep cut. I didn't realize that. Whoa! Yeah. Could you tell me what Mash stands for? Mobile Army Surgical okay. Hospital. Very good. He's a fan. He passes everyone. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't have done that. I'm not that big of a fan. <laughs> I'm a loose fan. I'm a, I'm a, you know, on the sidelines fan of MASH. I'm the guy that watched one episode of MASH. <laughs> I thought it was really good because it was on Nick at Night, but that was a rare occasion where I could be up that late when I was that young. It was it was the episode where they have to hide underground and oh. with the baby. Um, a totally messed up episode for a young <laughs> kid to watch. But I won't spoil it for anyone. But uh, it was it, it's a good episode. Um, but maybe, maybe it was just a little dark for me. And then the, that, actually, I was a horror kid. What am I talking about? I'm surprised I didn't watch more Mash because of it. Wait, did you watch? Did you watch the one where they they had a hide in the cave, or the one where they were on the bus with the baby? I think it was the cave. It seemed like it was underground or like hiding from a patrolling. Because it's Vietnam, right? So it would be the uh, Viet Cong. It's yeah, well, it's Korean Korea. But oh, yeah. it's Korea. Korean War. Okay, there you go. Um, yeah, the the baby's crying, and they're trying to make it stop oh. crying because they would they would hear it. Um, Dude, you the, uh, you, you watched the series finale. <laughs> I watched the series finale first. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. Like me with Twin Peaks. I watched a fire walk with me before I saw any oh, of the show. You're not supposed to do that. I know. No one told me. Uh, my roommate was like, "Oh, you'll be fine. Doesn't That's not matter." True. <laughs> they lied to you. <laughs> wow. I mean. I don't remember much of about it now besides that plot point. So maybe it's it's not too bad to go back and... and... The, the oh, early so series... The, it's so good. Yeah, the early seasons were the most funny and then they, they intro- introduced some seriousness into it and it was a nice mix. Mm-hmm. But the series finale was like two and a half hours long. So it's a it's a long bit. And, you know, they, they, had, a, they had to hit you with the hard stuff to end well. Just like Lost... Nope. Uh, Am I the only loster here? I've not seen uh, it. You have to tell me what does lost stand for? <laughs> <laughs> Kai, Katron, you've never seen it either. I saw parts of it, but I didn't get into it. And by the time it was even in my radar, it was entirely too late. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'm not saying it's the best show written on the planet, but I'm saying at the time that it was on, it was rather titillating. And yeah. uh, you wanted to know what was going to happen. And then at the end... You knew, and uh, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but it was a wild ride. It is definitely a wild ride. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm not gonna talk about loss. Like that could be a whole sub uh, podcast in itself. 
I think there are there are lost podcasts. Like there has to be, or at least were uh, once upon a time. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Here I go, stumbling bubble again. Anyway, that's my pick, Foxy Brown, 1974, music by Willie Hutch. Check out the soundtrack, man. The whole thing's wonderful. So we're back at the top, and actually, this kind of goes back to uh, Topless Cadillacs that you mentioned earlier. This is a Topless Cadillac film. This is 1983's Losing It. No G. L-O-S-I-N apostrophe. Losing It. Has anybody heard of this movie or seen it? That was also my third pick. No. <laughs> oh, hey, a crossover. Oh, <laughs> Jet Mike, you're the best. This movie, I will preface with, this is probably the movie that made me notice that there were movies with songs with the name of the movie in the song, because this just beats you over the head with losing it. You see Tom Cruise wake up, hit his alarm clock, and losing it is on the screen, as well as the song popping in immediately, screaming at you, losing it. Uh, so, oh, Chet Mike, I'll, I'll, I'll start a little bit. I'll, I'll give you the cast, a little bit of synopsis, and I'll let you pop in. Because I mentioned Tommy Cruise, so we're, we're, we'll continue. This movie stars uh, Tom Cruise as Woody, uh, Jackie Earl Haley as Dave, John Stackwell as Spider, and John P. Navin as Wendell, <laughs> with Shelley Long of Wing, uh, not Wings of Cheers fame. That's Kathy. Uh, so this is a movie Whoa. made in 1983, set in 1965. So this is another like nostalgia-y kind of movie. And it's about these friends who are going to go to Tijuana, Mexico, with the, uh, with the plan of losing it. It being their precious male virginities uh so what about shelly long she didn't want to lose her she is looking for a quick divorce so they all have a reason to get down to mexico and actually i think one of the boys that are in this topless cadillac going to tijuana only wants to go for fireworks so he's not out for losing (laughs) it he just wants a different kind of big bang Mm mm-hmm uh, so go ahead, Jeff, Mike, j- j- jump in. I, I was going to say, too, you know, to be fair, also, uh, Jackie Earl Haley, he is going there for that, but he's also going to get a tuck and roll on his car, mm. the uh, the Cadillac in question. What's a tuck and roll? He's going to get it, like, nicely detailed with some new uh, upholstery. Oh. Mm. And apparently he knows just the place in, in Tijuana that does it just right. Um so that's that's the side part because he that's the only reason really Wendell is coming because he's the kid brother. He does want fireworks, but he also has to watch the car and make sure they don't put. Is it manure? Oh, I can't remember. They don't line it with manure. That's what they stuff the seats with. Was that what it was? Yes. Yeah, and you don't know until you get back over the border and you're like, oh no. So that's what he thinks is going to happen. That's the paranoia. But of course, Wendell's not going to just sit there. And and they meet up with Shelley Long, who hitches a ride with them because they were shoplifting from the convenience store that she owned with her husband. 
that she wanted the divorce from. And they were very successful in shoplifting because they were arguing in the in the store while they were shoplifting. So they're not going to notice. This movie is basically they're trying to make another Porky's, but in the 60s with a Cadillac. Like the, the poster for this movie is the Cadillac with a woman's foot dangling a shoe. It's very, uh, it's telling you what with it is. This is uh, I just looked at it. <laughs> it's a sex comedy romp that they were going for. Uh, so if you didn't know that Tom Cruise was in one of those, he is. This is actually his fourth film. So very early Tom Cruise. He just came off of Outsiders. Uh, and then I think did Risky Business right after this? He did Risky Business and All the Right Moves. 1983 was his breakout year, and this was one of the four breakout movies for him. Probably the lowest box office. Yeah, for, <laughs> this four. movie was definitely a flop. It did not do what they wanted it to do. It did not become Porky 7 or whatever they were going for. Uh, I, they tried, I guess. Didn't work. Uh, it does have... Tons of things that would not fly in today's film. They do go looking for Spanish fly, as you do. There, I do distinctly remember uh, the kids being like, oh, you got to be careful about Spanish fly. You know, if you, I gave it to, I, I heard somebody that gave it to a girl and left her alone in the car. And then they came back and she was dead on the gear shaft. And <laughs> like, did such a horrific visual uh, it's Spanish fly, if you've never heard, uh, it's it's this thing that doesn't really exist. That's supposed to be some sort of aphrodisiac that you can slip a woman to make her uncontrollably filled with sexual urges, oh which is exactly what this film is about. All right. Yeah. Woohoo! Losing hey, it. The, uh, just to just to throw you some some of the grade A lyrics <laughs> for the song. Please do. Which again, like like Katron said. You hear this the, this refrain a lot in the movie. So there's losing it, using it, oh. abusing it, having the time of your <laughs> life. And then they say it again, and then south of the borderline. South the of the, the borderline. Just like that. Ooh. General film fans and horror fans too, especially, will appreciate the cameo from Joe Spinell from Maniac, Taxi Driver, oh. Rocky, etc., uh, he's a border guard. Nice. I do have another lyric chunk to give you. School bells ringing. Rev up your motor, boys. Gonna get out of here. Ready to party. And there's a word I can't interpret. I'm not sure what it is. Something to the wind. Women, wine, and beer. Like this. It's I would, just. I would it's... think, Kaya, it would be dicks to the wind. That's that's my interpretation. But right. I haven't seen it. <laughs> get ready to party. <laughs> Dicks to the wind, <laughs> women, wine, and beer. Yeah. It yep. Fits. You know what? That's probably it. Fits. it. You know, if the shoe fits. If the shoe and the Spanish fly, the gear shaft, <laughs> it all fits. That's absolute poetry. I would guess that of the 1983 Tom Cruise movies, Risky Business probably did the best box office, at least initially. Maybe The Outsiders, but I, I kind of feel like that might have done more later on. But either of those and two. He has such a tiny role in Outsiders, too, that it almost doesn't count as Tom Cruise. He's not the boy as he is in this film. Yeah, and Risky Business was his movie. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say The Outsiders is, is just Hall of Fame for me. But of those four, not counting Outsiders, I'd say this is my favorite. I think I ended up watching it from looking at the TV guide, seeing the name and thinking that looks like an interesting name and seeing that it was a Tom Cruise 80 movie. And thought, all right, I'll tune in. 
And I, when I did, I was like, this is not whatever I was expecting <laughs> it to be, but I did watch it. This for, this for me was one of those movies, you know, you, I went through that, that thing as a kid, may hopefully more people do that where like, you know, Shelley Long was in it, but she was Diane from Cheers is in this movie. And, yes. and, you know, Tom Cruise was his outsiders guy is in this movie. And then, you know, all kinds of stuff. You know, I watched Big Red One because Luke Skywalker was in it. You know, that's that's just how I, I got into movies as a kid. And so that's, yeah, that's yeah. why I watched this movie. And I, I can't stop watching this movie 40 years later or whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, Jackie Earl Haley was also in Bad News Bears. I believe John P. Navin was in National Lampoon's Vacation and the Silver Spoons TV show. So like these people were kind of around and doing things. And that's maybe they were trying to go for like ensemble cast and, and just and didn't quite pull it together. Uh, but this movie was filmed mostly in Calexico. That's at the border of California and Mexico, Cal Exico, which is north of Mexicali. So I think Calexico is in the U.S. and Mexicali is in Mexico. And they're towns that are very meshed together. So you've got a lot of the culture there. So they probably didn't, you know, they didn't have to do the let's go to Mexico to film the Mexican movie when you got Calexico right there. Was this before or after Top Gun? Before. 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 Was this before or after it, Legend? Before. before. Oh, he, really? Tom Cruise had, yeah. he, after like the 1983 breakout craziness, his next big movies weren't till 86 and on. Whoa. It's almost like he I had. Baby. I thought Legend was his first. All right. Well, whole he's life even is more a of a baby here. My whole life is a lie. I mean, he, he was in Endless Love, Taps, Outsiders, then Losing It, Risky Business, All the Right Moves, Legend, Top Gun. What? Yep. That blows my mind. He's even more baby-faced than this one. <laughs> he is, because he's All just right. a couple of years younger. I want to see that now. It's definitely worth a watch just to see. I love for that you your, both had that on your list as your, your top. That is awesome. Tom Cruise. I mean, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's definitely one that I had to include because it was such a great example of exactly what <laughs> I'm looking for. The person who wrote the song uh, was by the Jeff Allen Band. The, his name is actually Jeff Allen Silverman. And I found him responding to a YouTube video of a fan video of the opening of this movie with the song playing. So he's on there. If you go look up this this movie, if you look up Blues in It and look up the Jeff Allen band, this will pop up and he's there commenting saying, oh, I remember when I recorded this. Uh, apparently he's got a recording studio in Nashville now, uh, but was greatly a big fan of this song that he made for this movie. <laughs> also not, I don't, I don't, I didn't research if it's streaming anywhere, but it's not, it's kind of lost to the, although it did get a Blu-ray release last year or the year before. I was very excited about that. Ooh, it is. I've found it on at least one of the compilation DVDs where it's like a bunch of 80 sex romp comedies uh, and it's on like a six pack or something. But finding it individually, I think, is kind of difficult since not as many people hold it so dearly. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking up now. There's nothing streaming. It's not available on D, uh, VOD, so nothing digitally. In terms of Blu-ray, it's a region B, or at least... No, mine's mine's all region. Oh, is it? Yeah. Why can I only find it on Amazon UK? It uh, looks like Kino Lorber, if I'm trying to read it from here. 
I'm only going by what Letterbox is telling me, and sometimes they're very, very wrong, as this proves. So, all right, yeah, so it's available on Blu-ray. And on a DVD six-pack. And on a DVD <laughs> six-pack somewhere. The films on here are Valley Girl, The Rachel Papers, Losing It, Last American Virgin, Class, and Zap. Wow. There it is. I just found it. It is $24.97 on Amazon, <laughs> or you can buy it from another seller for 19 bucks. Look, it's worth it, everybody. Get on it. Once this podcast goes out, it'll be flying off the shelves. All right. Absolutely. Mike, we're going to swap. You're going to be let us borrow losing it, and I'll, I'm going to give you Black Snake Moan tomorrow. That I can do. It's a good swap. Tomorrow? Are we hanging out tomorrow? Wait, what? Wait, what? You, you said tomorrow, <laughs> didn't you? No. No, I said no. I said no. I mean, if you want to come to, to my work and we can have a, but, a movie party, let's hang out at the post office. <laughs> How come you guys didn't invite me? I mean, it's okay. But... Oh, Kaya, sorry. Okay, John, you can come sorry. too. Come on down or up. It's fine. We'll do a triple swamp. I'll throw in the something weird. Right. <laughs> I'm down. Throw in zapped. All day long. <laughs> I do own that as well, actually. I haven't watched it yet, but I do own it. We're throwing around the idea of having, once the weather gets a little warmer, uh, outdoor movie night. Nice. Mm. Yes, because we have the With screen. projector and projector screen that we've barely used. <laughs> Plan to use it for Skull, but we want to have it for more usages. I'm thinking like a 3D movie, because I bought a bunch of these uh, 3D glasses. <laughs> for a specific reason, I got a 3D movie, but it only came with one pair. So I bought a pack for seven bucks Yeah. from... Uh, Tijuana or somewhere. Yes, remember when 3D TVs were a thing? Yeah. Briefly. <laughs> Still a thing, sort of. I guess so. It's amazing. Please shout out in the comments if you still have a 3D TV. I would like to hear about it. I think Toshiba pulled the plug on them, but people still want them. Because there was such a wonder for a while. It's like a 3D TV. What? I mean, the elements are kind of thin for it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think the most recent thing was that Vinegar Syndrome releasing Silent Madness. Uh, in 3D, which is, hey, go you, if you can watch that in 3D. <laughs> I think it was a fad that just kind of burnt out, and now people have these really expensive TVs that they can't replace, unfortunately. Mm. Let us know if you have one so we can borrow it for the time being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can probably watch Friday 3 in 3D, put it on the projector. I mean, that movie's terrible, but, you know, we... Have How a dare you? <laughs> Do you not think... Friday 3D? There is the third yeah. one. It is opening with the most beautiful disco track <gasps> I have ever heard. But sure, yeah, okay, you can have an opinion, I guess. Wow, okay. harsh there, Midnight Dave. A, a the disco track is great if I remember, but an, I don't... An underrated Jason. He was great. It also marks the first time that it's the Jason hockey mask. So, okay, so there's some landmarks for the third one, okay? I am not a very big slasher fan, as all people know, uh, so I don't really hold that I know, I've been, I've been begging to get to watch all, the whole Leprechaun series, which my brother got me years ago, and uh, Dave will never give in. And the Leprechaun is amazing. I know. I have to watch it. You know okay. how near and dear the star, Warwick Davis, is to my heart. Yes. All the way. Plates. Plates. Skin deep Plates. on Blu-ray. <laughs> out of nowhere. With the soundtrack. With the soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> I mean. What was that movie called again? Skinned Deep. Skinned Deep, ladies and gentlemen. 
I don't know how much of this we're keeping in. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. All of it's (laughs) priceless. Definitely. Thank you, Katron. And Jet Mike. And And Jet Jet Mike. Mike. Yes, Katron and Jet Mike. Man, our first crossover. Will it happen again? And and a movie I've never heard of. So that's awesome. (laughs) Loving it. Thanks, HBO. The only two people. Yeah. Was it like back in the day, HBO? Where yeah. it played all the time, you know, you know, Hey, Beastmaster's on. It was like that for all those kinds of movies. They played them mm. all the time. We had HBO, but it was uh, Black Box HBO. So it was like half fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> You'd only see half the screen, half the boobs. That's fuzzy boobs. It was not, <laughs> not usually watchable, sadly. <laughs> I got them during the free trials. Uh, you know, the free weekends that they would do um, back mm-hmm. when everyone was tied to the box. Uh, and that's how I saw Beastmaster and a few other ones, but never, never losing it, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, we'll have to rectify that. Anyway, Jet Mike Katron, thank you. Jenny, what is your final pick? Uh, all right. Uh, I guess I'll just start out with the lyrics because they make me so happy. Um, and in the film, they're in Japanese usually. I'm not sure if there's an English dub of this, but uh, oh, forgotten kindness and ruined spirits. We pray for the people's spirit as we sing this song of love. Mothra, oh Mothra, if we were to call for help over time, over sea like a wave, you'd come, our guardian angel. Oh, wow. It's honestly one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I saw it in the last year, I think, for mm-hmm. the first time ever. And I was like, this is my movie. Um, it is a... 1961, I think it's the oldest movie we're talking about so far, mm-hmm. uh, Japanese kaiju film, which, what does kaiju mean, Kaya? Uh, is that mysterious beast? Something? Strange beast. Strange beast. Very there close. We go. It's probably, you know, there's probably no, no perfect English translation, I imagine. Giant monster films for anyone who's not... Uh, in the know with kaiju featuring ridiculous costumes costumed monsters uh or and or stop and uh, motion animation and lots and lots of fun monster fights battles destruction and silliness um, especially set on miniature sets that they people yes. in costume are rolling all over and destroying so many miniatures such a good time so uh mothra i think is the second most famous 
uh, Japanese character, which I didn't know until I started researching. I always assumed it was like Godzilla, Gamera, you know, the other big ones. But Mothra is up there with mm. Japanese culture. They love her. And it is a her, which is awesome because a lot of the other kaiju characters are mostly masculine. Yeah, um, I, there's only a couple other girls that I know of. Okay. What are the other ones? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't, but I had a child explain it to me oh. when I was like, I think Mother might be the only one. And he was like, actually, here's some more. And I don't remember what they were, but oh. there are a couple more, but nowhere near as famous as Mothra. I'll have to do some deep diving. Um, there's so many kaiju movies. It's ridiculous. Um, but Mothra was uh, the first of her kind. She is a giant moth. Uh, she is a flying. Uh, so the small summary of the movie is a flying monster terrorizes Japan after a nightclub owner kidnaps two tiny fairy princesses from their island paradise. So the humans are the bad guys in this particular film. And they kidnap the two princesses. Um, so let me actually go back a little bit. The movie was produced and directed by Humongous Studio, Toho Studios, starring Frankie Sakai. I'm going to butcher these names. I apologize in advance. Frankie Sakai, Hiroshi Kozumi, and Kyoko Kagawa. Those are some of the main characters. But most importantly, the Peanuts, who sing our main theme song for the film. Uh, they are a twin vocal group consisting of Imi and Yumi Ito, and their voices are only slightly apart in timbre, which results in them sounding like a solo artist utilizing reverb or double tracking. So they had quite a prolific uh, career as a singing duo, and they're just ridiculously adorable. Um, the song I... Uh, gave the lyrics from is called the song of Mothra. It is the main theme. It plays a few times in the film and I think is like a backing instrumentals track as well. Um, I think it was composed by, yes, it was composed by Yuji Kosaki. I'm not sure who wrote the lyrics. I'm assuming one of them did, but um, they're written in Japanese and then translated into Indonesian at Tokyo University, which is interesting. They had quite a career, the Peanuts. I don't know. They're still alive and kicking, and they're super adorable. Um, I don't even know how to talk about this movie other than it's super <laughs> fun, super adorable, and yeah, check it out. <laughs> was Was Mothra in color the first one? She was in color. Yeah, I think so, and she's so bright, vibrant. She's like a rainbow. She is. Uh, we have the uh, a new Blu-ray came out, what, in the last year, I think, uh, from Dorica. Yeah. Masters of Cinema series. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous thing to behold. It is really. a great package. Got a really nice booklet. It's limited edition. It is a Region B, so it's a UK label. Um, but Mill Creek released it in the United States, so it is available, and it's also available on VOD. But I love this movie. I was very upset when Jenny mm. thought of it before I did. <laughs> <laughs> I had this moment. I looked at him, and I was like, I know what it's going to be. <laughs> and I like I was like a maniac fiend woman I was like I have it and he's like kind of scared of me uh for a second and I was like Mothra because I would always sing the soundtrack because it's so cute Masura, yeah. uh the girls have beautiful range beautiful vocals they sing a few songs I think throughout the movie um and it just brings this wonderful 
female energy to the film, which is sometimes lacking in big old monster movies. So I appreciate it. In a it. world of pure testosterone and lasers, <laughs> Mothra is a welcomed guest or presence. Yeah, she's just, she just wants her little ladies back. She doesn't want to bug anybody. She doesn't want anybody to bug her. Um, uh-huh. hey! oh my god i didn't even mean that That's and she she is part of that godzilla extended universe she yeah. shows up and fights him a few times mm-hmm. and eats him and a couple other times yeah and uh saves his ass in the most recent king of the monsters spoiler i guess uh she saves godzilla from king Ghidorah. she's yeah, a badass she is a badass she's impervious to most weaponry uh, she can build a cocoon to heal herself and to spawn. Wait, no, just to spawn, right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like the um, uh, phoenix rising from the ashes. With yes. The she when the old sort of dies, the new one takes her place. It's kind of yeah. Beautiful. She regenerates. Yeah. What's uh? I think it was in. Was it in Mothra or is it one of the Godzilla sequels where there ends up being two caterpillars? And then, like at the end of the movie, and then in the next film, they ask, "Oh, where's the other caterpillar?" And like they ask the uh, Shobinjin, the peanuts, "Where, where's the second caterpillar?" And like, "Oh, it passed away, unfortunately, like off screen." And I'm like, "Ah, I wanted two Mothras, you know? Come on, save the world on two ends, you know?" <laughs> but uh, but yeah, piggyback off of this, say I absolutely love this film. I saw it when I was really young, and it was great. I don't know why I didn't tell Jenny about it sooner, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, as a huge Kaiju fan, this is definitely up there. I have never seen a Mothra movie. I think I've only seen one Godzilla movie. No, wait, two, if you include the more recent one. With the glut of them, it's hard to figure out where to start, and I've certainly not seen many of them, but you should see Mothra. I think it's worth it. Definitely. It's, it's weird. Like, the other ones do kind of have that you know, testosterone stompy fight the uh you know gotta go fight the war and everybody's shooting at you with guns and that sort of thing mothra is just sort of strange and kind of comes from left field the women that get stolen they're tiny they're like a foot big like they're tiny tiny women that talk in these high-pitched voices and they're like the guardians of mothra and they get stolen for the circus or whatever like that's totally ridiculous and then mothra has to come save them by destroying a bunch of stuff until she gets her buds back uh, that's definitely worth your time. <laughs> Absolutely. And as someone who has seen most, if not all of them, I would definitely start with the what they call the Showa era Godzilla, which is where the first Mothra comes out of. Ashiro Honda, um, the director and creator of the whole franchise from Godzilla Rodan, Mothra, King Ghidorah, all the iconics, all his ideas. Yeah, definitely start there because they're a lot more fun and the stories are actually pretty good. You know, they definitely care about the characters there. Try to seek out all the Japanese versions as much as possible because, you know, just like Italian cinema with uh, anything from the outside, America likes to just completely screw up (laughs) and add the worst American white man dubs you can ever imagine. But definitely, definitely fun. At the very least, fun. And if not, like really cool, Um, really great stories, really great campy sci-fi and then they have the Heisei era, which is like late 80s, early 90s, which kind of has a, they try to link them all together plot wise, 
which is interesting. And, you know, there's still guys in suits. They're just a little bit more upscale, if you will, a little bit more refined. But I, you know, I don't really like them as much. They're a little bit of a slog sometimes. Cool to see the monster fights. And then, you know, there's the Millennium Era and then uh, the current era that we're in now, uh, which, uh, you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> so what you're trying to say is Matthew Broderick Godzilla is the best Godzilla <laughs> that has ever been made. I, I got you. Yokiero Taco Bell with had uh, that little dog at a great oh, Godzilla I'm... crossover. Yep. Dude, I worked I worked at Collector's Heaven, Kaya knows Collector's Heaven in the Swansea Mall, rest in peace. And that was when Godzilla came out, Matthew Broderick. We the owner bought so much Godzilla merch. <laughs> so oh, <no>. much. <laughs> and it nothing. I sold zero. We mm-hmm. put it on clearance. I sold zero. Oh my god! Bad days. Were you just giving it away in bags <laughs> after that? That and Blair Witch trading cards. Trading cards. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> what did you have pictures of? Just people staring into a camera and then the woods? Because <laughs> that was pretty much all you had. I don't know. We did give those away for Halloween. When <laughs> I mean, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, have done I really want to know what was on those. Like what? I'm going to go eBay myself, the whole set. <laughs> Is the Blair Witch card holographic? That's what I want to know. They they did have inserts. It's got to be. <laughs> right. um, short story. I'm going to go find it. Short story about Godzilla 2000. <laughs> I saw it in the theaters with my dad, and uh, I'm in it, totally focused, totally digging it as a little kid. I forgot how old I was, but old enough to think that movie was awesome. And... Uh, <laughs> Matthew Broderick is in the street with the big pile of fish and then Godzilla comes stomping and eating it. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And I turn to my dad and he is mouth full open asleep, snoring right next to me. Uh, And, you know, I just let him be not Not impressed, obviously. You know, luckily he woke up in time to uh, bring us both home. But (laughs) Uh, but that is a fond memory I have. (laughs) Uh, Awesome. I'm so glad we're talking about kaiju. It warms my heart. I know. It was the good, uh, almost last movie, bringing the uh, Japan love to the podcast. Absolutely. I'm definitely a big fan of Asian cinema as a whole. But anyway, my final pick, the cherry on top of this clown pie, this clown ice cream pie <laughs> stuffed with purple rain that will make you lose it. Marshmallows uh, that you have to find during Baseball. midnight madness and space jam it in and space jam it inside of you while you're performing Mortal Kombat <laughs> while busting ghosts. It is Blade, you know, while you're while you're skating on blades. <laughs> I did it! I did it! Right? That's everything. Awesome. Perfect. From 1998. <laughs> When I'm freshly ripe, we the best tonight. KRS, be tight with a Wesley snipe. If you the best, be the lightning. We could be praying or we could be fighting. It could be day or it could be nighting. Whatever you saying, it better be writing. It could be exciting. But the fighting be frightening to the blacks and whites reciting our writing. Better we hype, not 
clash of the titan writing beyond verbal fighting expressing a lesson in songwriting whether i'm right or wrong or both i'm reciting the oath to be the most on both coasts whether i mc toast the host i expose the logos in my stand-up solos yeah 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 keep practicing you're almost there never show no fear because i can never get near see them get smeared it's the crowd chair but that's too weird don't be worried don't be scared I only shared what it's like to be prepared because i cared when you stared at me you dared to be hip-hop uh, Stephen Norrington, Blade, Wesley Snipes, you know who it is. Michael Frost is Stephen Dorff. Uh, Chris Christopherson is Whistler. Ido Kier making an appearance as Dragonetti. Oh, man, I love this movie so much. And what's great is that it's not one song, but three songs that deal with Blade directly. Let, let me, let me, let, let's just read the artist lists, right? Blade, titular song. Performed by KRS One and Channel Live. The Edge of the Blade, performed by Mr. Cal. Blade for Glory, performed by Majesty and Bizbone. This is top notch stuff here, people. This is mwah, Chef's Kiss 90s rap we're talking about here, 90s hip hop. On the Blade soundtrack, where Wesley Snipes' Blade. Come on, come on. How can you not love this movie? If you don't know what the movie is, just, just pause. Watch it, please. Dave, I feel like you're selling a car right now. <laughs> I want to buy the blade. I want to buy the blade. It comes car. with a pine cone air freshener free of charge. <laughs> Is it a steak shift, though? Nice. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. It's oh, a round of applause you. for the thank steak you. shift. <laughs> if you don't know, Blade's mother was bitten by a vampire while she was pregnant and then she didn't know that such would give her son a special gift which is that uh, he has all the good vampire attributes in combination with the best human attributes so he's a day walker essentially but also you know has the immortality within reason you know not getting staked in the heart and all of that and so he takes it upon himself to fight off the legions of vampires which are more or less the illuminati in this movie uh led by ido kier but then there's also uh steven dorf's character frost which is a total badass he's totally like this 90s goth takes no shit really wants to oust the old-fashioned traditional vampires of ido kier's ilk and bring in like this new a cyberpunk goth wave of, you know, vampire orgies and techno music. Absolutely. (laughs) He wears this like shimmering shirt through most of it that Mm -hmm. like, I definitely know someone who owned that shirt. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And it's never fully buttoned. It's always like fourth button down, see a little chest hair, but it's not much because he's, you know, like me and just kind of has you know, very light, but he pulls it off. You know, he might like Rogaine that shit and then try to make it stand out a little more. He definitely conditions his chest hair. Oh yeah, for sure. manicures it, you know, puffs it up a little bit. It's, it's, it's a great romp. It has the best opening scene where there's this, uh, they kidnap a guy. Um, he's lured into this uh, vampire dance rave. He's, he is not kidnapped. He is thinking he's going to a rave with this, wonderful woman oh yeah that's right. uh, yeah. you know she puts his, her hand on his leg he says something about seeing his heat seeker <laughs> they they're going to a club as far as he knows right 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 he's he's under different suspicions you know and cool underground rave club which would be something that would really happen yeah uh, Lords of Acid was probably playing <laughs> yeah. right someone was blasting or the Mortal immortals Kombat. 
<laughs> the, actually, the song in the beginning of this movie is wonderful too. It is uh, "Confusion," "New Order," right? The oh, there you remix. go. Remix. And it is so good. Oh, and it's like a hundred thousand minutes long, but I could listen to it over and over again. It's just the same techno loop over and over again, like very of its time. But it is so good too. Absolutely. It's got a great soundtrack all all around this movie. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and during this opening scene where the guy is lured or thinking he's going to get some nice goth vampire rave on, and uh, he ends up being uh, being dinner. And then Blade shows up and kicks all the ass, edge of the blade, appropriately so. And just gore city, paints the town red. Well, blood was already coming out of the sprinkler system at the vampire rave before Blade even got there. The white shirt blood party. The white shirt blood party. That's right. That's right. There were drains in the floor specifically made for this. (laughs) And, you know, Blade took advantage of that. He did. He set it up really well or planned really well. Point is, there's a lot going on in the first 10 minutes of this movie that I can't even explain (laughs) how amazing it is. And then it just takes off from there, like a shotgun. It just doesn't stop. Even, you know, when the CG, which is doesn't necessarily age well, but it's forgivable because this movie is just amazing. Not as Um, bad as Spawn, which came out (laughs) a year before, and I always got confused because I think I saw them maybe loosely here and there on TV. And I always thought they were the same movie <laughs> when I was little. Uh, <laughs> and we watched them recently and they are not the same movie. No. In fact, Spawn is pretty terrible. <laughs> but John Luguiziamo is a giant demon clown is, uh, is kind of awesome and horrifying at the same time. So I just imagine, yeah. speaking of Spawn and John Luguiziamo's clown, I just like imagine <laughs> <laughs> Luigi Luigiano, whatever his name is, you know him. I just imagine- he was Luigi once. He was- it's Luigiamo. Johnny Legs, actually, is what I call him because we're friends. <laughs> Johnny Legs. Johnny Legs. Johnny Legs. I just, I was just gonna say, I think his back would hurt every day because he really has to be hunched to play the clown. Because he's always like this low, because he has to be, because the clown is a very short person. And, uh, you know, I just, I relate. I, I, feel, I feel bad for him. He did all this work, this amazing work for a movie that was just kind of not, not, not great. Did you get a lot of Spawn movie memorabilia at Collector's Heaven that sold just as well? No. With the, the <laughs> McFarlane toys sold super well. Those movie toys mm. did not. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got two Spawn tattoos, so I was really upset when that movie oh, came wow. out. Uh, the I'm HBO animated series, though, fabulous. That was really good. Our, yes. our I'll back that up, too. Adult we just animation. got HBO Go. Oh, yeah. It's worth the time. Nice. It's probably the first thing I ever saw were cartoons had sex. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know if I should be watching this. But I still did. Cartoons <laughs> um, are for kids. What is happening? It was very good. I was very much like, oh, oh. The first one cartoon like around, saw, like, that was adult oriented was heavy metal. Nice. Oh, yes. And <laughs> it blew my probably 10 year old mind. Sorry, off track. No, it's yeah, perfect. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about Blade. That would just make me ramble on about how great it is without spoiling it. But definitely worth the time. Came out on 4K around Christmas time last year. And it is probably the best 4K I've ever seen, or at least up there. They really did a great, 
great job with that. I feel like Deacon Frost, who is played by Stephen Dorff, is like Angel from Buffy without his soul. It's like same character. You know what I mean? No way. He's, he doesn't care about killing people, though. Mm-hmm. Angel's all wishy-washy crybaby. <laughs> wow. Being a vampire is terrible. No, without his soul, though. Oh, without? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Same everything. Same appearance. He's not blonde, though. You really? gotta have that. <laughs> He's got the spikies. Yeah. That's like dirty blonde. I don't know. I got major angel vibes from mm. that character. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I do love about one of the things about Blade that I love is that, um, like Dave said, it's very like 90s techno and technological stuff too. Uh, that Udo Kier's vampire is very like, we must do things we, we've always done. And Stephen Dorff's like, dude, we got computer databases now. <laughs> we can like use computers for things. Uh, and then they do. And there's some like nice 90s hacking going on. Mm. Anytime you, you throw in a computer of its time, I'm just like, yes, that's it dial that up and then do the unnecessary click clacks to whatever you're doing. I just love how he's trying to decrypt this ancient vampiric scroll and he's just, you know, using a computer to do it. And that's, that's one of the things that they're giving him shit for is doing this very logical thing. (laughs) Like, yeah, why not? Get with the times, man. I'm going to go surf the net. (laughs) Get with the hero cure. And speaking of HBO Max, while you stream Spawn the Animated Series, you can also stream Blade because it's on there as well. And a bunch of VOD. So it's available. It's wide. Go check it out. But in any case, thanks for joining us, everybody. I do recommend now that people may be thinking of movies with songs that have the name of the movie and the song. You will start noticing it now and start making a playlist. Like, make it fun. Make it your life slow, obsessive work to the point that your friends have to make a podcast about it. Like, <laughs> no, this was a good challenge, uh, you guys. I really had to dig deep. I was like, I don't want to go off the main list of everything. I want to find ones that aren't so usual, you know? Mm, ones that aren't necessarily obvious. I mean, Mortal Kombat was completely obvious, but Mothra, that was a weird epiphany that I had. And... um what was my even other one? Black Snake Moan. That was a left fielder. I was just going through my DVDs. I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Once the gears start turning, you really start to mm. do things a lot more. So there is a Spotify playlist I think you made, Katron. I do. And I have a letterboxed list as well. I encourage people to make their own too, because there's there's a lot more out there than you'd imagine. Mm. Uh, and I think on my letterbox list, I just say every James Bond movie is spiritually included because it's every James Bond movie too. It's just a fun novelty thing that isn't done all the time. Uh, but when it is, I think it should be applauded because it's it's just kind of kitschy and kind of fun. And sometimes you do strike gold with them. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing it. And anyone listening, if we talked about a movie or didn't talk about a movie that you know comes to mind when you think of this theme you know send it to us tag us midnight romero on twitter midnight romero society on instagram all of our information's on midnightromerosociety.org and we are the midnight cast i am midnight dave and i am signing off with jenny from the grave katron and jet mike Thank you. Thank you for everyone who is listening to our first episode. I hope you enjoy the second one. Um, And then next month, we will be talking about Psycho Gorman, right? Mm -hmm. We're still doing that? Yes.
All right, cool. Uh, so yeah, we'll be talking about Psycho Gorman, which is a modern classic, I will say right off the bat. And I can't wait to do a deep dive for that. Spoiler warning ahead of time, and we will be doing a deep dive. So uh, now's your chance to check it out. Shudder actually just announced that it will be premiering in May. I think that it was May 20th was the date that they gave. So it'll be on there. I think it's on VOD now. So check it out gets our recommendation and get ready to have a deep dive conversation next month. Until then, thank you for listening and uh, have a great night or day or whenever you listen to this. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.